Episode of Radio Contra, the podcast of AmericanPartisan.org. And I am sitting here with my good friend, Red Dot Rich. We're going to be breaking down some of the things that are going on, kind of his perspective on stuff, the economics, the supply chain issues, and as well as uh, breaking down a little bit of what's going on in Europe, seeing it from his perspective. Finland, uh, you know, how this is factoring into NATO, kind of the power play that's going on there, the Rand Paul uh, kerfluffle that's happened, blocking the $40 billion in additional aid that was going to Ukraine. Uh, meanwhile, we can't keep baby formula on the shelves. We got a impending diesel shortage and what this is going to do for our economics long term. Red Dot Rich, what's up, brother? Commandante, it's good to be back. It's good to hear your voice, brother. Yeah, man. Yeah, a couple couple weeks out in uh, the great state of Washington. Um, you know, doing putting in the work out there, scout course, RTO courses, coming back, uh, trying to burn it down for for all of the Radio Contra fans out there, and uh, just cranking out content, uh, sipping a little rum, enjoying the good life, man. Yeah, well, it's uh, it's my birthday weekend, and uh, I, uh, <laughs> I treated myself to something that you introduced me to, which is a fine bottle of Belvini 14. There you and go. So it's been a very smooth end of the week. It's I've been enjoying Hell. it, thanks to your recommendation. <laughs> Belvini 14 is it is uh, it's a sleeper, man. It, it is. So for anybody that doesn't know, Balvini 14 is a scotch. Um, it is one of the marquee scotch brands that, that comes from the Speyside region. Um, and Balvini in general is is amazing. And they've got a few variants out there. But uh, one of the neat things that they're doing is uh, a 14-year single malt. Uh, Balvenies are, are single malt scotches, but they are finishing it in rum casks. And so it, it's it's not really traditional in, in you know, the, the scotch world to do that uh, because there's a lot of scotches out there that are finished in sherry casks. But, man, I, I'm going to tell you, that adds a unique character to, to that scotch and uh, a 14 year single malt, you know, finished in a rum cask, dude. It's, I mean, it's, it's amazing. Yeah. That sweet, subtle back note. Ah, man, it gets me. Yeah. Dude. Oh man. Telling you, it, it's, uh, you know, in a, a close friend of mine, one of my best friends introduced me to it. Um, because, uh, I'm a big fan of Speyside Scotch in general. It's, I mean, you know, when, when most people think about Scotch, they think about like that heavy PD Islay Scotch, like Lagavulin mm. or Lafroig. And I mean, those are fine if you're in the mood for them. And, and it's got to be a certain type of uh, 
environment outside. Like it has to be kind of rainy and cold for me to enjoy one of those. But space odd scotch, man, totally different. It's it's you know they're light. They're usually kind of on the sweeter side. They've got kind of fruity notes to them, and and uh, dude, you know everybody everybody that I introduce space side scotch to are all of a sudden just like yeah wow that's we didn't know scotch could could be like this you know yeah and that, that's the same taste i have in scotch I, I usually stay away from that that tea um you know more traditional what you would think of in a single malt and uh, yeah. the sweet notes they hit home i love it oh yeah yeah man it, it's i tell you you know it, it, it it's not a cheap bottle of scotch I mean, it, it's, I think around here, they're, uh, Balvini, the Caribbean cask is going for about 85 bucks a bottle. I mean, it's not, you know, it, it isn't, it isn't something that you're going to go out and drink every day, but it, it's special occasions, having a yeah. good time with the boys, you know, some, something you don't do every day, enjoy with, you know, a fine steak and, and a good cigar. You know, it is that's I always bring a bottle to class, man. Uh, if I, I'm traveling to, to class, I'm always going to bring a bottle to class. It's just, well, that's a whole other reason for me to be, to, to be excited about the uh, the Scout Recce course in October, I think. Yeah, <laughs> Eddie, we would definitely be we would definitely be keeping warm around a nice campfire in in the late evenings. And then, of course, after class. Uh, where all the real shit happens. Yeah, when we get drunk, drinking with night vision. <laughs> <laughs> and you see me now. Step a little to the left. Oh, oh man, dude, it's good. It's, it's good times. Like there, there's a lot of doomsayers out there about the economics. You know, we're, we're talking about October. Um. You know, this this summer is looking like it's going to be a wild ride, man. Yeah, I, I'm uh, I'm anticipating uh, that uh, some things will be in short supply. Um, you see that uh, you're fully aware of the diesel shortages along the East Coast. Um, the, the stores are already getting a little more bare. There's less material coming out of China. We're sending our natural gas and diesel to Europe to try and support them because Energy wise, they're dealing with four or five X bigger crisis than we are. And uh, it's crazy that we keep self-imposing this stuff on ourselves. Funny how that works. Almost like there's somebody pulling some strings, man. I mean, you you know, you and I have had this conversation. I'm not a tinfoil hat guy. I don't I'm, I'm not a conspiracy theory kind of dude where, you know, like the the. Uh, mystical Illuminati is pulling the strings on everything. I mean, we, we do know for a fact there there is a power elite out there. It's the marriage of industry and governmental circles that, that are kind of intertwined with one another. I mean, you know, we, we know this. The left has argued for this. The, uh, or or, or uh, the, the left has argued against this traditionally. You know, C. Wright Mills back in the 50s and, and 60s writing uh his stuff you know and and of course we've had people on the right and libertarian circles uh that have pointed this stuff out i'm not a conspiracy theorist though man i don't think that there's you know like some some magic all-knowing plan 
out there that, that you know they're they're trying to to oh they're they're trying to do all this stuff. I, yeah, yeah, I I don't buy that. But there is definitely money changing hands somewhere. People, I mean, there there are people who are profiteering off of this at the highest levels of corporate entities. I mean, this much we know. You know, what do you think their end game is, man? I, because I think that personally, this is this is just them. Th- this is the, a culmination of all, all of the, the short-sighted policies of I'm going to make all the money I can today and screw you tomorrow. W- you know, what what are you seeing? Well, I, I don't know if it's on purpose or by mistake, but it's negligence regardless. And, you know, when you give opportunities, you know, people will seize upon them, especially if they have the resources or the connections. Like we're talking about this baby formula shortage. Sure enough, press starts coming out from Bill Gates about how he wants to provide climate friendly baby formula alternatives and change the game. Obviously, corner that market and take over. You know, it's just like they may not be trying to do it on purpose. Maybe they think they're doing good but they're definitely picking winners and losers. And uh, that's something that the elite, they have no business doing. They have no business doing. Yeah. I mean, it's just really funny, man, talking about Gates, how his name keeps coming up in every (laughs) one of these conversations. This guy's name keeps coming up. And he is one of the biggest landowners in the United States, man. You know, a yeah, lot of people he, don't know that. And he doesn't like beef. He doesn't think we should be eating it. So, you know, pretty soon through financial means, they'll have a say as to what maybe the diet is, and how much is available and what you get to buy in the store. It's pretty wild. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, from even from the Microsoft days, he's been a monopolistic businessman, you know, and um, there's been multiple antitrust cases against him. And uh, he still manages to stay popular. One of the wealthiest men in the world. But part of that is because he spent in the last decade $500 million on PR, on having uh, journalistic um, alliances that he creates so that he's always getting puff pieces written about him. And, um, you know, just like you could say about Jeff Bezos and the Washington Post or even Elon Musk on Twitter, like these guys are buying information uh, influence. And... You know, some guys do rockets and some guys are buying all the farmland and are in half the computers on the planet. Um, yeah. <laughs> and some guys are own the Washington Post, are a contractor for the CIA and handle most of their web traffic. Oh, and also are, are the <laughs> only how that works, isn't it? The DOD as well. Department Correct. of Defense. We can't, we can't ignore the Department of Defense. They do that as well, man. And he's in charge of the majority of the supply chain logistics on the planet. <laughs> it's uh, it's it's funny, man. It, it's it, it's almost as if they are uh, following the the uh, Hegelian dialectic to a T, man. You create a problem, right? And we're we you know they they've created the problem. They're getting the reaction. What what do you think the solution is going to be that they roll out for all this? You know, I, I have faith in people. They, they can be dumb from time to time, but eventually 
you know, the gaslighting, even in the Soviet Union, people like knew that the news was a lie. They knew that the politicians were full of baloney and that it was just a joke. They knew that the equipment didn't work. They knew that right. they were wasting their efforts. They, they just shook it, moved along. And, and eventually, you know, after hundreds of millions of dead and years and decades of misery, they got through it. The world got through it. <laughs> but now it seems like they're trying to pull us back in. And it's like, did we learn our lesson? Why are we trying this again? Well, they do it with a smile. I mean, communism, communism in practice is a management technique. And, and you know, it's, it's a very evil one. Neoliberalism is this fascinating marriage of, of Marxist ideas. And, and really, uh, Antonio Gramsci, they, they took a page from him as well. I've been thinking about doing an episode where I break down exactly what neoliberalism is because it is this—it's a synthesis of cultural Marxism, of of creating a ruling hegemony that is contrary to the belief system of the vast majority of people that are out there. I mean, they don't—they don't share the opinions of it. That's that's what this whole woke agenda is. But that plays into. Um, you know, the, the, the neoliberal economics, because now you're appealing to, uh, uh, people and you're creating hegemony, a ruling hegemony that is discarding, you know, all, all of the conservative values that a people formerly had. And I think that that's, that's exactly what they're doing. And you have corporate entities that are literally replacing politicians. I mean, why is it we, we know that, that corporate money buys politicians? Why is it then that you have all these left wing guys that are openly taking tons of money at the local level where there is a, for more often than not the least amount of oversight? Right. Why is it that they're, they're dumping so much money into these these campaigns? And it's because they're running a protection racket, you know, down in Florida. I mean, look at look at what's going on with DeSantis and, and Disney, how they, they went head to head and it's been exposed disney literally owns orlando they own the politicians that are coming out and they they are trying desperately to own a larger swath of the politics in florida and they ain't going for it yeah uh, disney you know they didn't really think when they were put planning out this strategy but they're a family-oriented business and so you know your customers they're not they're not silly and eventually if you're anti-family enough they're going to be like you know let's skip the trip to disney world we'll go to universal and you know what disney plus cancel it i'm i'm over it and uh it's hurt them it's hurt their checkbooks desantis made yeah. a brilliant political play um because all of a sudden he's asking reasonable things and they're calling him a blast you know how dare you when he's saying yeah you know maybe we shouldn't teach gender identity to seven-year-olds i think we can all get behind that and so right. when that, that when that light comes out, all of a sudden Disney's holding the bag, being like, "Ooh, we got too excited about you know jumping on the bandwagon on this one." Oops. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. It, I mean, it forces them. It, it forces them to take a position. You know, they can't they can't fence it when it comes to ideology. They they have to take a position, and you know it. It ends up being toxic for them. And then, of course, we've got everything else getting exposed 
uh, you know, the, the cover-ups that have happened, the payouts, the out-of-court settlements for uh, assaults and abuses that have happened. I mean, it, they, we've got more questions than we have answers regarding what is going on with Disney. Yeah, <laughs> it all seems suspect, doesn't it? And again, I don't want to get too tinfoil hat because you could say, well, you know, they've got how many employees around the world? You know, sure, there's going to be bad ones, but then the oh, numbers yeah. are like, the numbers are high. And then you go, huh, isn't that a coincidence? And I don't want to make a correlation causation argument, but uh, something's off. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it just doesn't, it doesn't seem right, man. Something just, it's statistically high. Which tells us, I mean, from from a numbers perspective, right? We're talking about you know correlation and creating causations. Something's up, you know, something's mm-hmm. up. So when, when you start to look at who they're employing, and you know, we start examining the bigger picture, man, there's something going on. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a part of that whole left culture now, that woke culture. I mean, uh, I recently watched a movie. Uh, the Killing Fields, which is, you know, the communist um, upcoming in uh, in Cambodia, Pol Pot, the whole deal. And there's yeah. this great there's this great scene in there where the kids are all in school while the parents are working. And they show one of the kids a picture of a family. It's, you know, um, a mother, a father, two kids in front of their, their house. And a little girl draws an X over the parents and where they were holding hands, she uses her finger to disconnect them so that they're no longer holding hands and the whole class roars in applause because that's a necessary tactic for them to break down the family to you're the state's children in essence you don't you're not a part of your own thing you're right. a part of us and um, right. that's that seems to be kind of like one of the underlying trends of all this nonsense yeah no nah, i mean that's marx talked about it in the communist manifesto he talked about the role of the family uh, being a, a tool of social maintenance uh, on part of the bourgeois in Das Kapital, uh, you know, and, and the the uh, uh, specifically when he was talking about the materialist conception of history, um, you know, and, and that that's why they've traditionally went after the family. That's why you have. Uh, Kamala Harris has been quoted as saying, you know, it takes a village to raise kids. And that's specifically what they're talking about. When you have have left wing candidates, that is what they are referencing. Now, they'll lie to your face. They'll tell you, oh, no, no, no. You know, I'm I'm just talking about the role of of the community and the environment. Yeah, bullshit. You know exactly what you're talking about. You know exactly what you're saying. And there's finally conservatives who are waking up to this. Who are pointing this out you ain't gonna hear that crap from the glenn beck crowd but you will hear it here yeah and you know listen there's there's people see this as much as it's going on and we hate it and we talk about it you know we're fighting the fight of ideas and as in the uh, public arena as much as we're allowed to but homeschooling is at an all-time high um school yep. choice which is a program where the government funds the student and not the school um is I think it's now in 23 states. So instead of your school knowing they, they get your money, they don't have to do any good. As a parent, you can be like, this school, I don't like the teachers, I don't like the staff, I don't like the administration, I'm taking my kid across town. And that's an easy choice right. for them. So at least it adds 
some free market to the educational system because right. having a, it's one thing to have a monopoly on education, but when you start including indoctrination into it, get my kids out of here. That's not your job. Your job is to watch right. them while I'm at work, teach them math, reading, history, and maybe how to communicate properly and then send them on home. <laughs> so, yeah. there, I mean, there's, there's good coming out of this. People are waking up. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, you know, with uh, like, for example, what's going on in Round Rock, Texas with this, you know, just they they, I mean, the fight against the school board there, which I think is bizarre because, uh, well, on one hand, it's bizarre. On the other, it's it's not. But, um, you know, Round Rock, Texas used to be a conservative bastion in the state of texas as you know austin has always kind of been a a odd place and it's turned into uh just debauchery uh there and and you know everybody in texas kind of knows that that it is you know it it is what it's it's just that place every state has that place that's just like yeah they're they're a little odd you know north carolina's got Asheville. We've got Chapel Hill and, you know, it's, it's, eh. but Round Rock being a suburb of Austin and being a place where conservatives live for, you know, a long period of time. Now it's been infested and uh, with, with refuse from Austin. And what do they do? They, they do this. The left does this everywhere it goes. They, they come in, they buy up inexpensive properties, they paint it in their stupid Easter egg colors, right? They put their little signs out front, and the next thing they do is they start running people for office, right? <laughs> and, and you know, conservatives, traditional conservatives, we don't, we don't really do that. It's like, all right, whatever, you know, we for so many years, for generations now, we kind of, we pay attention to, um, you know, state and federal level elections will kind of turn a blind eye to uh the local stuff fortunately that's starting to change but that's how they gain power man that that's how they 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 were able to overrun the uh you know in uh, all of these local level politics they they took over the school board next thing you know you got the howards in textbooks and the critical race theory, the Merrick Garland, right? Because Merrick Garland's been profiteering off this stuff. Look it up. All right, mm-hmm. look it up. It's out there. That's what his his family, that is their business, is selling school textbooks that sell critical race theory. That's how it comes in because the school boards are the ones that are approving this crap. And, you know, all the conservatives have left is to show up, voice their opposition. But the left still has the power. And so you got these parents that are getting arrested. It's all over the news, you know, coming out of, out of Round Rock, Texas. This has been a back and forth. But it's highlighting the issue. And then, of course, you have Merrick Garland coming out saying that these guys are domestic terrorists. Oh, if, you, if you go to a school board meeting, heaven forbid, you speak out, oh, now you're a terrorist. You're the same as bin Laden, right? Yeah, and people eat that crap up. I can't believe it that they're so silly. You know, when uh, you know, being a, when you're accused over a number of years as being a, a puppet of Russia or a white supremacist or a domestic extremist or a racist or a deplorable or all these things, like you know, eventually people start going, you know, 
I don't think of myself that way. I don't want know why you're still calling me that. And I think people wake up and to the conservative politicians, it seems like it's only once every 10 years or so that we get, you know, the, the, the conservative politicians grow some and fight back. For the most part, they're like, ah, small government, we're not going to fight. And then the left just keeps steamrolling. And then all of a sudden we had these big movements like uh, 94 and Bill Clinton when they lost, um, when the Republicans gained the House of Republic uh, of, of uh, the House of Representatives for the first time in over a decade. And the Tea Party in 2010, and what I think is going to be the midterms of 2022, where it's like, you know, enough of your baloney, stuff it back into your bag and zip it. And I, I'm hoping that November is going to show that. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, one thing that the left is is terrified of is the fact that there are a lot of conservatives that are coming out of the woodwork who are not. Caucasian. They ain't white. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and, they, and I'm telling you, man, that's like like our lieutenant governor here in North Carolina, man, he's he scares the shit out of the left because he oh, yeah. he has an appeal and he he is able to rally a base that they used to count on in this state. And so now it, it's really funny, man, because when you see Democrat, traditional Democrat uh, talking points now, they're not even, and their candidates, they're not even trying to appeal to a black audience or a Latino audience. They're not even trying to do that, the minority audiences anymore. Now they're trying to appeal to people who have moved here from out of state. That's They, they have shifted the narrative because the people who've been living here, I mean, if you think about it, man, the the Latino population has come in one generation removed from, you know, the, the first groups that were coming in. They're Catholic. And right yep. now, the big thing on the left is is doing what? Going after the Catholic Church because they look at them as, oh, oh you're you're an enemy of abortion. Yeah, they are an enemy of abortion. And that's they're they're showing up. They're harassing the Catholic Church. So, you know, you, you've got all of these these people, this huge population that's traditionally Catholic. They're looking at that like, OK, that that's how this is going to be. OK, you know, and 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 they're starting to look at the politics of it. I mean, down in Florida, man, the, the, the people who are leading the charge against Disney, against cultural Marxism, they're all Cuban. They see this for what it is, man. The Maximo Alvarez quote from um the republican national convention which rings true he's like you know we we all fled cuba because we realized what castro was we fought against batista because we wanted freedom but then we realized what castro was once they took power this is america this is our home we don't have anywhere else to go man mm -hmm. yeah <clears throat> there was a viral clip from the view you know that show with those squawking birds that for some reason oh, yeah, gets a decent end. viewership. And, uh, <laughs> Joy Beha! One of the hosts, I forget her name, uh, she goes, I don't understand what a black Republican is. That's like an oxymoron. Like she couldn't figure it out in her head. And it's like the new white supremacy is the white liberal thinking that they have the, the right <laughs> to tell minorities how to vote. I mean, to, the, the clown world that we live in, the bizarro land, where like they're saying the exact opposite of us and then describing themselves like a mirror perfectly. And it's just wild. Yeah. Um, 
And then again, yeah, for the first time, I think in history, more Hispanic Americans are leaning Republican. I think it's 52-48 is the latest number. The, again, the, uh, the, the gamble that they took uh, to, to keep that minority for a while, they didn't realize, oh, you know what? These people are Catholic, they're religious, they're hardworking, yeah. they believe in the family, their language is based on gender, so they don't like this yep. Latinx crap. <laughs> they have Ooh. masculine and feminine. So all this stuff you're jamming mm. down their throat is, is uh, heretical to their culture, their upbringing, that where they came from, I, you know, and uh, yeah, man. Oh, we, they lost that demographic. And then, you know, you call people an oxymoron enough and they're going to be like, you know, I don't like these people anymore. Or yeah. they haven't been delivered for. They keep lying to these people and nothing changes for them for the better. There's only so often you're going to do that to keep a vote of a certain demographic. I mean. You can't do this right. identity politics stuff. You have to do things that make sense for everyone, or at least the best we can for as many people. And that may be doing nothing, but <laughs> the idea is to do the greatest good for everybody, not just pick winners and losers. Like, oh, yeah, we're going to pay student debt, essentially rewarding <laughs> white liberals who study basket weaving and, and the economics oh, of yeah. uh, cavemanry or something like that. <laughs> yeah, I mean. In debt. Yeah, I mean, you you know, you you get a graduate degree in anthropology, where you're you know you're you're studying contemporary civilization. I mean, and I'm thinking of somebody specific here, um, who who you know is it is it, not neither it, it's neither here nor there. But in in my academic career, I knew a guy who was getting a graduate degree in contempt in what he called contemporary civilization. Right. Where he was studying homeless people. And this included his his graduate studies included him panhandling in central North Carolina, in, in a city in central North Carolina. Why are you paying for this? OK, why? Why are you? What, what is the deal here? And of course, you know, liberal white guy, exactly what you would imagine. Right. And, and just just complete completely unhinged what is the value here what what is the value to civilization of you studying bums right i i feel like somehow the chinese are behind this you know they're sending their kids oh, yeah. to engineering school and then they're they're funding us to take artsy fartsy liberal <laughs> <laughs> nonsense <laughs> so that and we can we can we can argue with each other about how many genders there are or some such nonsense. <laughs> it, it, it's to keep people stupid, you know, because yeah. when, when we're busy asking those questions that are nonsensical, we're not asking real questions. You know, like, huh, maybe maybe this power structure thing that, that's going on here, maybe this this corporate kleptocracy that is pulling the strings. Um, you know, it, and intertwined itself with our political structure. You know, maybe maybe we really don't have free and fair elections. Ooh. Well, there's Ooh. definitely there's definitely thumbs on the scale with everything. You know, from Zuck Bucks to the media, the information landscape, the narrative. Um, yeah. You know, and then <laughs> and then shady things happen as well. Shady things happen in every election. It's so funny <laughs> how after the last election. They say you can't question an election where they spent four years saying questioning that, an election that that Putin stole the election for Trump and somehow hacked the voting machines. And <laughs> they were pushing a conspiracy theory on mainstream media straight for just about five years. 
And then they look at everybody else and go, nah, we're the experts. We know that what happened and what didn't happen. Like, you think right. I believe you? I have eyes. I have ears. Like, <laughs> say what you will. My mind's stronger than that. Right. And, and you know, that's why Dinesh D'Souza's 2,000 mules is so important. And, I mean, he's he's absolutely crushing it. Uh, yeah, he's that a fighter. Go ahead. He's a fighter. He's a fighter. He is, man. He he's a fighter, and and you know, he he was a political prisoner, right? Dinesh D'Souza, in case anybody doesn't remember, he was a political prisoner. The IRS came after him, claiming that he owed all these back taxes and stuff, arrested him, and then ended up dismissing the charges and and, and settling everything. After he went to prison, that was politically motivated, man. When he made that documentary on Obama, they came after him and they came after him with a vengeance. Um, yeah. You know, the, the, and the Obama administration weaponized the IRS, you know, during oh, his yeah. eight years going after churches, super PACs, um, political organizations, political enemies. I mean, it was wild. Yeah, man. Lo- Lois Lerner was a thing. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it, shifting gears just a little bit, but but still kind of exploring this idea of the marriage of, of corporatocracy and um, kind of how that's playing into things, broaden the scope a little bit. So we, we've got some other interesting developments. Of course, Ukraine, the meat grinder in Ukraine is just kind of chugging along. Um, you know, we've got some other developments in Europe that I think are are fairly interesting Finland and Sweden now considering joining NATO, which is, is interesting on a lot of levels and Rand Paul blocking this $40 billion aid package. Break down kind of your thoughts on this, where you see this going. Well, the, the news from the Nordic countries is they anticipate to have some paperwork in by the end of the week, which would be today and for discussions to start, um, Monday. Um, but, you know, this is a slow rolling process of NATO expansion and uh, means a lot of weapon sales. It changes the calculus for Russia. I mean, it could be a nothing burger and like, who cares? Um, or it's just going to create more economic warfare. You know, the, the word on the street is that Russian gas will stop being delivered to Finland today, which may not be a big deal in the summer months. But if this doesn't get sorted out by winter, it's a real problem. Um, well, and that's certain- Finland, Finland can just drive electric cars, right? I mean, you know, <laughs> they can just drive electric cars. Like it, it, they have an Arctic tundra from most yeah. of their country yeah. that batteries will freeze, but they, they can just drive electric cars, right? Or, or no. use public transport, mass transit. Yeah, rainbow, uh, rainbows and unicorn farts. That's uh, that's the plan. <laughs> I mean, we already have we already have this huge strain here at home. I mean, our our whole playbook of of, of sanctions, economic sanctions, and oh, you know, we're gonna well, we're we're really gonna be tough on them. That's man, that that seems to have backfired. The ruble is at an all time high. Um, the sanctions have backfired fivefold on Europe than it has on us. It's hurting us tremendously. I don't know if you've seen the stock market this year, but not looking great. Um, 
And uh, Europe's going to be feeling the pain. You're going to see with this natural gas shortages, even during the summer, you're going to see German tooling output coming down. Uh, this is going back to the supply chain stuff, but you know, China isn't shipping out products. I mean, there's a, there's a diesel crisis on the Eastern coast of the United States. People can't get baby formula. I don't see this getting any better. And they're proposing a $40 billion bill, which a $40 billion bill is the kind of thing that says, you know, no, we're going to keep this war going. It doesn't say, yeah, we're going to do some diplomacy, have some peace talks. We got to make an arrangement. There is no discussion of discussion. That's not even allowed to be in the narrative. And when Rand Paul, there's a five minute video of him on the Senate floor with a little bit of Chuck Schumer thrown in for fun. That is a must watch where he breaks it down. It's like, if we send this $40 billion, that's $54 billion in two months, which is more than we spent on average in Afghanistan for all 20 years of that waste of a war. And yep. more, than we, more than we spend on highways, bridges, and tunnels in the United States every year. In two months, we're just throwing this money out the door. And he only had three simple requests. You know, the internet got flooded with stories of Rand Paul blocks the bill. All he's done so far is delayed it one week. And his three requests in that one week are that the bill gets read again on the Senate floor, that it requires 60 votes to pass, and that there be an auditor to keep an eye on the $40 billion. And that Chuck Schumer, his petulant, you know, he knows that he's trying to steal. He will not have it to have an auditor. So they'll kick the can down the road for another week and vote on it without the amendment, which basically is all it's asking for is, you know, we're, we're throwing $40 billion to one of the most corrupt countries on the planet. I want someone to keep an eye on the money. And talk about plutocracy or kleptocracy, but um, if no one's watching that money, how many contracts are going to friends in DC? How many friends, how much money is going to Raytheon? You know, military industrial complex, think tanks, how much gets stolen through consulting charges and $8.7 billion of such and such. And nah, no way. Why no way. And all he's Never. Asking, all he's asking for is that we need a special master in charge of making sure that the money is being spent accountably. I don't think that's a big ask for $40 billion. And the video is fantastic. Um, Chuck Schumer really looks like a real turd <laughs> at the end of it. He calls the junior senator is blocking the fight against authoritarianism by the brave Ukrainian people because this is about democracy. And I'm like, I heard that before. It was George H.W. George W. Bush. Yeah. <laughs> 2003. This was about freedom and democracy and it had nothing to do with either of those things. So right. <laughs> to still throw out the same canned lines, it's <laughs> it's wild. And and it's, and it's, they're throwing out the same canned lines because they're like, hey, man, you're screwing up the hustle of this 40 billion dollars, <laughs> you know, at least like That's 300 right. million is going to end up back in the 10 wealthiest counties in the United States, which just so happen to be surrounding Washington, D.C. Yeah. <laughs> no, never. You know, no. you're a maybe, conspiracy theorist, sir. Maybe I'm being cynical. Maybe I'm being cynical. I don't know. <laughs> well, I mean, the, the coffers of, of Raytheon are profiteering. I mean, they, they're making record level profits here. I think that it's really ironic too, because we want to shuffle all this money over to Ukraine. Meanwhile, nobody's paying attention to what's happening in Colombia right now. And I think my personal assessment, I've talked about this a lot. I've put up a lot of stuff about 
what's going on in Colombia with their upcoming presidential election. When that kicks off, it's going to be bad. And that is going to exceed our ability to supply a very staunch U.S. ally and often forgot about U.S. ally as well in their fight uh, against communism. And, and when that happens, when that happens, man, we're, we're going to see some mega ramifications from that. Yeah, it's like the Eye of Sauron has its eyes on something else right now. <laughs> to make a nerdy Lord of the Rings reference. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it, it's they, they've been paying attention to Ukraine because they've had Burisma happening there. But meanwhile, you know, there wasn't there. What it, it was just assumed. And, and this is a, a common uh, U.S. foreign policy tactic. We just assume that. All right. You know. Colombia's got their thing going on. They, they've got this, you know, it, it, it seemed like there for a little while they had a good handle on things. The FARC uh, laid their arms down and, and you know, this the, the major uh, combatants of the Colombian Civil War, which was the longest civil war in modern world history, by the way, often forgot about. And the FARC just laid their arms down a couple of years ago, uh, formally. But... You know, th those guys, those fighters didn't go away, okay? The politics behind it didn't go away, and a lot of them were absorbed into ELN, which is backed by the Venezuelans and underwritten by the China, or overwritten, rather, by the Chinese. Um, they have a, a huge interest in locking up the entire South American continent, and that's exactly what they're going to do. They have Central America as well. And so, like I pointed out yesterday on air, a lot of the migrants that are getting rounded up now down in Del Rio and Eagle Pass, they're coming from Venezuela and they're coming from Colombia. What's going to happen when Civil War kicks off in, uh, in Colombia again and it goes hot and heavy in a hurry. And you've got Venezuela that is right there that, that's going to invade. Much like how uh, Russia went into Ukraine, they're going to invade because Maduro's already saying they're going to do it. I mean, he's, he's telling the world, hey, th this is what we're going to do. I'm calling for a special – he's even using the same language, man – a special military operation to bolster our allies and our people in the border regions – of Colombia with Venezuela. I mean, he said yeah. that that is the same language that the Russians use. The problem is, is that we sent all our A-list equipment, all our, all our top shelf stuff, and we don't have the manufacturing capability right now to replenish those existing stocks. We sent it all to Ukraine. What are mm -hmm. we going to do? We're going to fight a proxy war on two fronts now? <laughs> Doesn't seem like smart strategy, does it, Matt? <laughs> I think, well, see, that's that's the thing. I don't think they have a strategy. But yeah, this, like I said, whether just, it's on purpose or out of stupidity, it's negligent nonetheless. <laughs> it's just yeah. wrong. They don't they don't have a strategy behind what they're doing. They're just throwing shit at the wall now, hoping that something sticks. And, yeah. and that's pretty much it. Meanwhile, there's a much longer term, more far-sighted strategy that's been employed by both Russia and China, right? Belt and Road Initiative. This is a thing, man. Yeah, it's it's had some setbacks. 
I personally, I want it to fail. I want it to fail. I want America to be successful, man. But I don't think that we're going to, at least in our current form, that we're going to survive this level of grift, man. We we just can't do it. Like there there hasn't been any accountability of this stuff. Yeah, I hope I hope we get squared away and we get some good leadership. Um, and you know we can kind of turn the ship around. I don't think it'll take much, but I'm, you know, hope isn't a plan of action. So as much as I I really wish that some people would step up and kind of you know take the ship and just I'll, just kind of redirect its course a little bit, and it'll make a big difference over the long run. Um, but with, you know, hope not being a plan of action, just, you know, you got to take care of what you can take care of and, um, you know, shore up your defenses and your family's defenses and your business's defenses and just, you know, keep it tight and, and be strong. And then also make the right, you know, exits and um, infills as they, as they need to happen, you know, because <laughs> counting on Washington, D.C. to solve the world's problems, the more, that, the more they throw against that fan, the more shit ends up on the wall. And it ain't working. <laughs> so at the very least, do less, you know. Um, but hey, that's this that's my opinion. Yeah. Nah, man. I mean, spot on. You know, it, it's it's certainly spot on. Uh you know, breaking it down a little bit further though, we kind of revisiting this this whole issue with Finland uh joining NATO. Sweden too, but Sweden's kind of been a, a, you know, neutral, but not so neutral ally for a long time. How do you see this working out, man? Uh, I don't know. Turkey's going hard on the paint against the entrance of the Nordic countries. Um, and they have veto power. So this could all just end up being a big song and dance where, all it does is it gives it gives um, NATO an excuse to start entering into partnerships like the UK and I think Sweden just signed some sort of defense cooperation act. So I think a lot will happen short of NATO. I don't think it'll ultimately go through. It'll change Russia's calculus a little bit. They're going to make some more hyperbolic threats for sure. And then there's going to be some defense cooperation between NATO countries and those two. But as of right now, I think they're as likely to join NATO as Ukraine is to a certain extent, maybe more so. But um, I think ultimately you'll just start seeing a lot more defense cooperation, you know, just like you've been seeing throughout Eastern Europe, um, where uh, the U.S. and NATO have asked, hey, send all your Soviet bloc weapons to Ukraine and, and we'll ship you some new stuff. And then this way it's not NATO sending weapons. It's a third party, but it's essentially arbitrage arms dealing. Um, so I think you're, seeing, you're going to see a lot of horse trading like that. Um, there's definitely a big reshuffle of, of Europe after this. But they didn't even have a referendum in those two countries to the people to ask, hey, do you want to join NATO? They're just like the people who are in charge are like, oh, yeah, this is happening. Oh, yeah, uh, we'll send in the paperwork. So it's a very undemocratic. I mean, I'm curious to see what the people of the country think. Like, you know, this is dangerous. We kind of like being independent. And like, you know, if we can help out in an emergency, like that's fine. But like, you know, they beat on the war drums. Like, what are we doing here? Let's start in Ukraine. Let's let's leave it there. Let's finish it there. And let's move on with our lives instead of $40 billion investment and drawing it out for at least another year. And um, who knows what this summer and this winter is going to look like. You know, the more you mess with the um, 
tinker with the engine, you know, the more likely some bolts are going to come loose. And, you know, I just don't think it's worth the gamble of all the warmongering, the pushing forward, the NATO expansion, um, the rallying cries. It's like, hey, everyone, let's take it easy um, and maybe end this thing and get back to business as usual. But the, the, the power that be used to that, you know, 1980s foreign policy of America not understanding the realities of today, just keep beating the drums. Yeah. Well, you know, in in the 1980s, man, it, it was a whole it was a whole other thing. Like we we had our house in order, we had our supply chain issues, you know, we had domestic manufacturing, um, you know, all that stuff was squared away. Now we don't have that. You know, we we outsourced everything to the Chinese. Right. All our manufacturing happens in China, somewhere overseas. We, we have very little domestic manufacturing. We're, we're a nation that produces nothing. We were sold on this idea in the 90s that, that we're going to have a service based economy, which doesn't really uh, make make a lot of sense. And that gave way to, the, you know, saying, well, this is uh, th- this is. Uh, post-industrial society this is late stage capitalism right which is a marxist term by the way when you say late stage capitalism that's a critique of capitalism right but this is what's openly being being pushed and it's it's keynesian economics that there are keynesian economists that are pushing this by the way modern monetary it's, theory yeah, modern modern monetary theory, which means what? It, it basically it, it, it's admitting that your fiat currency has no value, and we can just invent numbers. That, that I mean, that's what it is. I'm in complete agreement. I mean, in the mid '90s, you had Bill Clinton with NAFTA. We had just won the Cold War, and we already started shipping our jobs overseas. Get rid of them. Let's make some money. And we figured, yeah, we'll be a service economy, but you, you only need so many people selling each other insurance and <laughs> serving as a bartender. And, you know, the pandemic proved, like, you spend a trillion dollars a year on defense, you don't have a bunker with some, you know, N95 masks and rubber gloves in it or something? Like, what the? (laughs) People are incompetent, you know? And we don't make any of it here. China's using it all for themselves. Oh, that seems like a a screw-up in national defense strategy, doesn't it? Right. And and (laughs) so NATO, in, in the 1980s, NATO w- was a real thing, man. It it had the ability to project power for stability, and that was the mission. But you know that we're we're forty years removed from that era, and the whole the whole game has changed, man. And when we, you know we're talking about you know them throwing shit at the wall and hoping that something's gonna stick, well, dude, you know our our oil production. Look at our oil production. We have a domestic diesel crisis that is about to hit home, and that thing is going to be a tidal wave unless they take some emergency measures, but they can't do that. And so there's already stories. I saw this morning there's a story coming out of Reuters where they're they're already beginning the narrative of, well, you know, it's it's the oil companies. It's their fault because they're profiteering off of it. Well, yeah, they're they're not in business to go broke, man. That's just ridiculous. But at the same time, the government is the ones who are preventing new oil exploration leases. They did that. They're the ones who shut down Keystone XL. They're the ones who who kicked off this idiotic war in Ukraine 
and now made enemies out of people in the world that we could have made allies with. And now where's all our diesel going? Right. And that's just one thing like we, uh, corn production, wheat production, all of this stuff is going to hit us like a tidal wave, man. Yeah. The, the U S essentially for 30 years, we've, we've exported one thing very well. And that is the U S dollar. We send dollars out. They send us bananas, steel products, manufactured goods, whatever. And additionally, they take those dollars and they would buy U.S. treasuries. And what the Biden administration did with pursuing these sanctions is they weakened that system where we were living high on the hog, where we kind of got away with not doing much. We would just sell each other insurance, send some dollars down to South America, and things would come on trucks up the border. And it was great. Right. But now, in addition to not having a manufacturing base in here, the goods are slowing down because, like, you know what? We don't want these dollars as much. We'd rather have the stuff. Well, and they, the they created a parallel economy. I mean, when you when when your whole move is based on coercive politics, which is traditionally, by the way, in, anybody that's paid attention to uh, traditional left leaning uh, arguments and left leaning politics. They would know that 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 has been the the main criticism of left wing movements across the world is that America rules economics of the world through coercive means. And here it is. You know, you've got a a quote unquote left wing politician and a government that's run by the American left wing, which is nothing more than than an extension of neoliberal economics. Um, and, and corporatocracy, we're seeing it all on display. Sure enough, that's exactly what they're doing. But their whole plan has backfired. The whole house of cards is coming down. But we're all going to pay the price. Yeah, exactly. I mean, again, back to the ruble. The ruble's back to an all-time uh, pre-war high at the very least. And it's because they said, well, okay, we're out of that SWIFT system. But you know. Our economy is based on exporting energy, wheat, fertilizer, some pretty cool weapons, and things like that. You know, we'll just base our currency on that. And you know, what does the world need? It needs food and energy to run. Otherwise, we're no longer a civilized uh, uh, civilization. And uh, oops, didn't do the calculus on that one very well, did we, Matt? No. 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 It, it, it's... <sighs> <laughs> Man, it, it's frustrating. You know, it's it's it, it's frustrating, but at the same time, it underscores the the whole reason that we do what we do. It 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 you know it underscores the reason of of holding these politicians' feet to the fire. Um, you know, coming in uh, just just a few minutes left, brother. It's always a, a honor, a great conversation to have. Uh, when, when you're in the house, man, any last things, birthday weekend coming up, man, any, any last things that you want to cover, uh, before we punch out? Uh, two things I'll be selling my, uh, celebrating my birthday weekend with freedom. Lots of ammunition will be expelled. Lots of whiskey will be drank. There will be steaks <laughs> involved and a beautiful. Work. <laughs> so it's I'm, a I'm 1980s really... style birthday yeah. weekend. Orange Julius and Sabaros with neon lights and an arcade, baby. So, <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. You know, Orange Julius, man. <laughs> and secondly, it's always fun talking to you, man. 
you know, one thing that makes a great instructor better than a good, different than a good instructor is not only do you know what you're talking about and there's good lessons, but you're also fun. It's fun to learn from you and it's fun to talk to you, man. So I appreciate you and I appreciate your time, brother. Thanks, bro. Yeah, hey, if if we're not having fun, what are we doing? You know, mm-hmm. I mean, it's a it, it's a thing. You, you got to have a good time, dude. It, guys that are guys that are all stuffy and a little too serious all the time. Like, ah, you know, I never really got along with that crowd, man. It, you know, it, best people I worked with were ones that we laugh about stuff and real laid back. When it's time to when it's time to work, work. You know, but we we ain't we ain't got to be hard all the time, man. Yeah, yeah. Have fun and learn at the same time. That's the way to do it. That's right. That's right. Well, brother, happy birthday. It's great to have you on air. Gonna try and get you on again real, real soon before I head up to Michigan uh, for the Michigan Mission up there. RTO courses in Michigan, which I've got a couple of spots left. Got a couple of spots left. We've got a little bit of room left in that class. Uh, so anybody needing to get that combo training, come on out. You're going to get it in an environment that is uh, world-class and the best bar none. And you're going to have a great time doing it as well. Hey, brother, God bless. Thanks for being on. Gracias and adios, comandante. Hasta luego. <laughs> all right man hey guys god bless y'all everybody out there and i'll be talking to you again on the air very very soon this is nc scout out Back away! Back away!